So the mission has a church. It's a, a line that I have heard quoted oftentimes before, yet I've rarely attributed it to anyone or even spent any time to try to sort out who it came from. And I think partly because the, uh, it's not really a new idea, the idea that the mission has a church. Instead, I think it's more of a demonstration of the character of the missional God himself. See, we as Christians follow Jesus. Jesus followed God, and in, in such a way, we too bear the image of this missional God. Author Leslie Newbigin in his book, The Open Secret, echoes the sentiment in this way. He says, I have affirmed that God's kingship is present in the church, but it must be insisted that it is not the property of the church. It is not domesticated within the church. Mission is not simply the self-propagation of the church by putting forth of the power that it hears in its own life. See, the mission of God, the mission prepared, uh, the, uh, the God of mission prepared this earth. He set the stage for his son, Jesus Christ, to condescend to this world, into this world, with explicit orders. Explicit orders that would change the course of humanity, an event that when witnessed would inexplicably transform slaves into sons and daughters. James Stewart also mentioned his book, The Life and Teaching of Jesus Christ. The world to which Jesus came was a world sorely damaged and defaced. Wherever Jesus looked, he saw traces of the working of one disastrous power. Wherever he went, he encountered men, potential sons of God, whose fellowship with their Father in heaven the one power had destroyed. And so then, we know that the power lies within Christ's sacrifice for me and you, right? I mean, that's why we come to church. We believe in this man, Jesus. But how did you come to discover it? When you think back on your faith, when you think back on your journey, how did you come to discover Christ's sacrifice for you? Is it that we all need to bear witness to Christ's sacrifice as the apostles did? They literally saw it. Does Christ need to continue to be crucified even now, day after day after day? Scripture says that that can't be. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So how in the world, how in the world will those far from Christ be drawn to him? If the witness means that we have to have knowledge of the event from personal observation or experience. Herein lies the church of mission. That God chose to use humankind, you, here at State Road Church and across this globe, to bear witness to Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection so that others also might become witnesses of the same through the Holy Spirit which is present in any of us that trust for salvation. The Holy Spirit is present in you and I. And so as we consider the birth of the church way back in the New Testament, I think it's important for us, it's poignant for us to look towards Pentecost as the flashpoint for this convergence and this call to mission. 
We hear of this smattering of disparate groups throughout Jerusalem are all drawn together by something. They're drawn together by the sound of a mighty rushing wind. An act of God drawing people towards himself and towards the next phase of mission. It's here that Arthur Glasser in his book Announcing the Kingdom makes the reference to that fact. At this point, the church begins to take form as a people separated by God to fulfill his purpose for the nations. And so as you and I consider God's preordained plan for this pinnacle moment, when all of these different nations are drawn together, remember at Pentecost, the Spirit falls upon them and and they're all able to understand what is being spoken in their own language. And so we see this drawing together of these nations. We also must realize that God prepared and equipped Peter and the other apostles to step into the mission with him. God was handing it off through his son Jesus to you. Believers, people who understood and trusted in what Jesus had done. And so as this gathering of the nations teeters upon the fulcrum of belief versus unbelief, right? I mean, you're at a point where you're going, what in the world is going on around me? And to be honest with you, sometimes when I hear of things that are happening in the mission field, I wonder the same thing. Is this true? Is what's happening out there true? Are these miracles happening true? And I think each of us comes to this point of belief versus unbelief. Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, takes grasp of this mission and he declares the mighty works of God. He declares the mighty works of God. It's during this proclamation that he makes this statement in Acts 2.32 for us. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. The beauty of communion is a reminder to us that we also serve that very same God. We also serve that very same purpose, and to be inactive in it is to step away from what God is asking us to do. Peter reminds those who we hear in his words that Christ's resurrection is important. It's important for us to actively bear witness to. And Paul makes mention of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. But the reminder, the beauty of all of this is that the church is not a nation. The church is not a bloodline. It's not a political construct. It's not just a social gathering. I hope you hear this. It's not even a commercial enterprise or a business. The church is a body that is meant to bear the witness of Jesus Christ. Each of you, to bear the witness of Jesus Christ, not only to those who are like us, but also those who are not like us. That's the awesome thing about what God did at Pentecost. He made made their speech understandable to one another. That's something that blows my mind. I've thought about this idea of speaking in tongues, and, 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 and I've looked at this passage before and thought, man, I would love to just be able to start speaking Spanish. 
I'd love to just be able to start speaking French. I mean, if any, I don't know if any of you are multilingual or anything, but I, I really struggle with learning other languages. I've got an app on my phone, and Clara, I think, uses it more than I do, as I'm trying to learn Spanish. But I wish I could just speak and someone would understand me. There's opportunities I've had at Martha and Mary's where there, there are some of the, the migrant workers come in, and I just wish I could communicate with them. And so I wish for times like this, and that makes me wonder, is this really God? Is this Him? And, and so when we consider that, when we consider what God has done and what people might not understand around us, are you willing to bear witness? Are you willing to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ? The church here is those who Peter solicits repentance he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and, not just for our family, but for all those who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Those who bear witness bear the Holy Spirit. We bear the witness of Christ, which is the mission of God. The faith establishes a church that breaks through barriers that are religious and racial and national. I think a lot of times we struggle to even figure out what we're going to do tomorrow here locally within our own context. To think of those people who don't have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't remember what the logistical numbers are, but there are thousands and thousands of people every day who die and have never heard the name of Jesus. Never, ever heard the name of Jesus. But this faith, the faith that you bear, that you have, as brothers and sisters here at State Road Church, establishes this breaking through of barriers denominationally, racially, nationally. And then we also have to look that ministry is not just to people. We can get stuck up on that. Stuck on that, that's the wrong word. We can get stuck on that. We can get stuck on ministering to people. I need to serve this person. I need to make sure that they have food, or I need to do this for that person, or I just need to tell people about Jesus, and that's just one more person, that, uh, one more salvation notch on my belt. But it's here we have to understand that ministry should not be merely to people, but also through people. The more we engage one another in prayer, in evangelism, teamwork, and adaptation, the more likely you will be willing to do the same, to engage others in prayer and evangelism, teamwork, and adaptation. It's the model of a disciple becoming a discipler, and it's, I think, the expectation we see in the New Testament church. God reconciled us through His Son. An effective mode of mission will imitate that. An effective mode of mission here at State Road will reflect that God reconciled us to His Son. It'll reflect it in our own lives. It'll reflect it when we go to the grocery store. It'll reflect it when we work. It'll reflect it at home with our family. 
I think it's important to hear this quote from a, a, a gentleman, a pastor named Travis Joy. He says, love can't be contained in a single person. It was never intended to. It's too great. Love is never intended to terminate on you, but to th flow through you to others as we are empowered to declare and demonstrate that love to a world that is in desperate need of it. God's love is it's too big. God's love was too big to just sit in your heart and not be poured out. God's love was, its purpose was to go from person to person to person. That was the mode of mission in the New Testament church. And it hasn't stopped. It hasn't changed. And I doubt any of you would deny the basic simplicity of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples in Matthew 28. The Great Commission, Pastor Josh also already shared it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's not it. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's not just Pastor Tate's job. That's not just my job. That's not just the board's job or the teachers here at State Road Church's job. But our job as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ is to teach others to observe all that God has commanded us. Much of this has been uh, made as the proper mode for the accomplishment of these two short verses. People say, well, let's do it this way. Let's accomplish it this way. We'll go and we'll do world missions and, and we'll centralize missions offices and, and there'll be people that are going to go do this and we have uh, you know, global partners that are going to go out and they're the ones who are going to feed. But God calls us to make disciples. And so how should we as a church be going about that? Leslie Newbigin, who I quoted earlier, concludes in, from his original comment, the Christian mission is thus to act out in the whole life of the whole world the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We have now to listen to the missiology formulated within the consciousness of the Christian who is part of the poor world. A missiology centered in the demand for liberation in the name of God's justice. It's in these terms that we must face in our day the question of the relationship between the preaching of the gospel and action for God's justice as part of the church's mission. But the problem is, is this holistic approach to mission, this fully developed disciple-making scenario is often cherry-picked for the parts that best fit our individual preferences. Maybe they mix more efficiently with our already busy schedules. And it's here that we must be reminded that the mission has a church. It's not the other way around. The church doesn't own the mission. God does. God owns the mission that he's called each one of you to. And it's an important reminder for us this morning. As Christ followers, we must understand that there is no safe place found in a human interpretation. And, and that's, that's difficult to understand because as Christians, there are leaders and there are teachers that their core work is interpretation. And so I'm not saying don't, you know, check out and don't believe what I'm saying, but go 
Go look for it for yourselves. Open God's word for yourself and try to understand what he would have you do. Don't just take it from me. Don't just take it from me. Don't just take it from Pastor Tate or another leader on TV or online. Instead, we must continually seek the will of the Father in obedience. You know, it was Abraham's a sacrifice to Isaac, near sacrifice to Isaac, that attributed him justification, right? Scripture tells us that, that Abraham was justified by that work. But is that what God's asking of all of you? To sacrifice your children? No, he's not. We know that. It was Abraham's obedience that justified him. And so as we, as a church, consider the mode of mission, we must first remember that it isn't our mission. It's not our pet project. It's not our personal desire. It's not the thing that we have time for. And I don't mean, I don't mean to, to try to set that aside and say, well, if it's not our mission, it's not my monkey and therefore not my circus. Right? This isn't just a dismissal of our responsibility to do what God has asked us to do. Well, he'll figure it out. It's his thing. God has called us to be the mode of his mission. God may very well be calling you to something that you don't want to do. God may very well be calling you to something that doesn't fit in your neat or current life. But we are going to be called to different things at different times, and we need to be looking for what God would have us do because what He calls us to do today might be different in what He calls us or how He calls us to do it tomorrow. The what is still the same. He's calling us to make disciples. But how is he calling us to do it? Even Jesus, in his sacrifice, set this example for us. And this is where we're finally jumping into Philippians 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, by being born of the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, there's that word again, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him, and he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I think it can be easy here to look at that and say, okay, well, God was obe- or Jesus was obedient to God, and he got glory, so maybe I should get a little glory. But I think we're reminded time and time again throughout Scripture that it's God's glory that is paramount. Remember, Jesus is God. He has something that we don't have. We don't have the benefit of that. That'd be great to have some supernatural powers, I'm sure. Like being able to speak Spanish right now. That'd be great. As we seek God's mode of mission for the church, and specifically here at State Road, 
We must humble ourselves continually. Not just today, not just the moment we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do, but the next moment and the next moment. I was encouraged by what Roberto said, and I don't know if you caught it, and maybe those of you who are online missed that portion with the issues we had. But Roberto said this. He said, God, if you want to do this, I'm not going to do anything. I don't think he was trying to say, listen, you do it for me. But he said, because I want to do your will, not my will. I want to do his will. God's mission for us is neither a checklist to be accomplished. It's not a list of personal accolades that we should be celebrated for. And if that's the case, then what is his mission? What does he want us to accomplish here in our communities? What do we do about this balance of human need and spiritual depravity? Jesus spent his time on earth drawing people through him, uh, to him through word and deed. Being both the word and flesh, he does have a bit of an advantage here over those who would then bear witness to him later and us. But church, we must be reminded again that the day of Pentecost, we were given something. You were given a gift. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you began to trust in him, when you entered the waters of baptism and were raised to do life, you were given something. Not just a washcloth to put over your mouth. Some churches do t-shirts that say, I was baptized today. Some people get a hug at the end and a dry towel. But we were given the Spirit, a helper, to help us witness what Christ did on the cross for you. Will you be a faithful witness to that church? To a world that needs it. To a people that need it. And maybe we think, you know what? Everybody's heard my spiel already. Everybody's heard enough of Andrew. They don't need me to talk to them about Jesus anymore. It might take years for someone to actually hear that seed that you've planted. Not because you've done it wrong, but because God is a God of his own timing. And he's called us to be obedient. The timing that Abraham brought Isaac all the way up to an altar, he fixed the fire around it, and he began to lay his son over it and raise a knife above him. That is when God said, you know what? I will provide for you. I will provide for you what you need. I will provide for you the sacrifice that you need. And he has done that for you. And so when we are challenged, when we don't know, that's a lot of the times when we don't want to go. When we don't know. When we don't know what's going to happen next. But God is challenging you. He's challenging me to go before I know. And not just to minister to people, but to minister through people. People, to bring them along in this work of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, Peter and John were not praised for their works, but instead this is recorded of them. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. 
and they were astonished. And they recognized not that they had gone and got some, uh, taken some self-help classes, not that they went and checked out some motivational speakers, not that they were wearing really nice clothing, but instead that they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Do people in your life recognize that you've been with Jesus? Do the people you work with, the people that are in front of you and have a ton of things in their cart at Walmart, the person who just cut you off, do they realize that you've been with Jesus? It was these uneducated common men through whom God healed a crippled man since birth. And it was this event that gave way for the opportunity of the proclamation not only to those who saw it, but then eventually it also went to the high priestly family who heard about it. And so we see that both human restoration can, can also lead to spiritual restoration, and spiritual restoration can also lead to human restoration, but it needs to be both. Maybe one comes first and then the other one comes, but it needs to be both. So as the Lord leads, we must obey with the obedience of Abraham. Obedience is the word for the morning. How about that? The obedience of Abraham, the obedience of Jesus Christ, and the obedience of his people, you here at State Road Church, to the mission of Christ. As the diverse collective body of those who proclaim the faith of Christ, we all have been given the authority by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the resurrection. To bear witness every time we gather together to enjoy communion. We bear witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it, it is unlikely that human need and spiritual depravity are mutually exclusive. Right? We need Jesus, but a lot of times we need food or we need money or we need health. But at the same time, of equal they aren't of equal importance for one is temporal and the other one is eternal. The propitiatory work of Christ upon the cross is purely spiritual. We see that. But Jesus' work and his effective work here on earth drew people to him through the feeding of their bodies, through the healing of their bodies, and through mutual watch care. And so if you trust fully in the death and resurrection of Christ, you have received a gift. Not just the gift of the Holy Spirit, but also we have gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. And we read of Christ's example of humility here in Philippians 2. And the most, I think the most poignant thing is to move on to the last two verses. Paul tells the church in Philippi that because of his example... Because of Christ's example for us, as you have also obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, not my will but yours be done, even if it's costly, even if it's untimely, even if 
I don't think I'm equipped to do what you've asked me to do. As a church, God is calling us to obedience. Not just to some list of laws. Not just a a, a number of things that you're supposed to accomplish before you turn 50. I don't know why I said 50, but anybody 50? He's given us his mission. He's given you his mission. And it's not that we have to do it. It's that we get to do it. We get to serve the risen God. We get to serve an eternal Savior. And so if there be any encouragement in what God has done, let it be His humble example to us today that He calls us to obedience. Even Christ Even Christ, who was God himself, poured himself out for your sake. And he's encouraging us to do the same. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, it's oftentimes, I think that I've heard it so many different ways. I've heard it from people. I've read it myself. And sometimes, Lord, I get a little content with where I am. I, I get really content with what I'm doing, with what I want to do with my own life. But Lord God, you've called us to something else. You've called us to a mission as a church body together that we would encourage and exhort one another, that we would praise the name of God together. I'm so excited for an opportunity to do that tonight to share what God is doing in our own lives, how we're seeing him move amongst this people. And I pray, Lord God, that you would also challenge us to be a part of that, not to sit back and hope that somebody else will do it. Not to think that we are unequipped or unable or that it would be impossible for us to accomplish what you've called us to do so that we leave it to somebody else. Lord God, you've been gracious to us. You've been kind to us. You've loved us while we were still sinners. And Lord, in response to that, I pray that you would find us faithful. A faithful church full of faithful believers who want to tell others about the beauty of the message of grace through Jesus Christ. That we would serve others bodily, but that we would ultimately seek to disciple people spiritually. That their faith would last beyond this period here on earth. That we would one day see your face together. That we would invite other people to be part of that fellowship. Not for our own sake, not for our own praise, but for yours and yours alone. Help us to be obedient today. In your name we pray, amen.